welcome to What About Us, a podcast that examines how policies affect rural Tennesseans. My name is Sandra Rice, and this is our 15th episode. I cannot believe it. Today we are going to base our discussion on something that is not even a policy or legislation, but a resolution, a first step in a long-reaching plan, and that is the Green New Deal. My guest is Lauren Newman. I met Lauren on a hike at, uh, up here on the mountain, and we got to talking, and I tried to... She had just returned from... Uh, it was the Climate Reality Project training. And you got to, to hang out with... Al Gore. Al Gore. <laughs> from a distance, but yes. From a distance, but still. Um, and uh, we tried to get some things going uh, uh, last year around Earth Week in April. I eventually got the famous... Um, professor, yep. Deb McGrath, yep. who everybody up here loves. And uh, this year, fortunately, I got in t- touch with Lauren just before she left. Lauren, tell, tell us what you did here at the university. You're a graduate of the University of the South. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a graduate of the class of 2018. I majored in environment sustainability, minored in chemistry, and decided to stick around um, just because I was really involved um, with the Office of Environmental Stewardship and Sustainability as a sustainability fellow for three of my four years. Um, Pretty active with environmental organizing, um, environmental activism on campus, and just wanted to um, really strengthen that um, and foster that and grow that in the students. And so I decided to apply for a post-bac position with the office. Got it. Thankfully, Uh (laughs) Um, and became the Sustainability Fellows Coordinator. Um, And in that position, I uh, pretty much helped uh, restructure a little bit the Sustainability Fellows Program, ended up going under a rebranding process because um, there was a lot of emphasis on project, but as I was mentoring the students, they didn't really have a good understanding of how to, you know, manage their project, be successful, Mm -hmm. see it to its end. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of Mm -hmm. times there's a lot of competing interests Mm -hmm. um, when you're a student. Like you have other extracurriculars, you have your classes, you have exams, you have homework, you have all these competing things. You want want to hang out with friends. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of worked with uh, the sustainability program manager, um, who has now left, um, Nick Cookson, um, and redeveloped the Sustained Leaders Program so that we put more of an emphasis on student development and growth in addition to the fact that they also have independent projects that they're working on throughout the year that help promote the Sustainability Master Plan. Okay. Um, so those things really launched you, and you're launching all these other students, yeah. and you're launching... On to what's the next step for you? <laughs> yeah, so um, next step, I'm returning back home to my hometown of Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up and pretty much was uh, encouraged to pursue sustainability as a career, as a further, further study through this organization called City Blossoms. And it's a nonprofit organization. It's an urban agriculture nonprofit, and what they do is they have um, really three sets of programming. One set of programming they have where um, it's open to anyone in the community, and that's their community green spaces. They do programming in each of those spaces about two to three times a week, and then they have um, early childhood curriculum that they develop um, and work with early childhood um, centers and elementary schools. And then they also have a high school program, um, and that's the program that I'm going to um, return to um, and manage as the Youth Entrepreneurship Cooperative um, Program Manager. Oh, good. Um, good. So that program works with high schoolers, predominantly from two different high schools in D.C., Eastern High School, which is actually the high school that my dad graduated from, okay. <laughs> which is like just crazy to be able to be... Um, in that space um, where my dad like had his formative growth Um, and then another school called the Cardozo Education Campus where a lot of recent immigrants go Mm -hmm. um, and it has a very strong English language learning program Um, so a lot of the students that I'm going to be working with there 
are either learning English or it's their second language or it's their third language or um so that'll be a hurdle but a lot of the youth they they manage the gardens at their schools they run CSAs within their school they do farmers markets throughout the year they make value-added products like herb salts or body butters or essential oils and things like that from things that they're growing in the garden um and it's just a really cool model because it's all about empowerment it's about how these youth can recognize the power that they have in their communities um, and give back and kind of reclaim it because they're also struggling a lot with the fact that their neighborhoods are changing. Mm-hmm. Gen- gentrification is hitting D.C. hard. Um, and I've seen that over the past couple of years. So it's going to be really awesome to be able to be in that role, still be able to serve students and still be a mentor in that capacity. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. I was telling Lauren as we were getting set, set up that um, the university here is a great resource, resource for talking to young people and getting their perspective on the issues that we talk about and uh, they're our future. And um, I don't think we talk or listen to, to y'all quite enough. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to do that on this podcast. Um, we're going to talk about some serious stuff today, so we'd better get started. Yeah. And that is... Um, <laughs> Uh, a little bit of my inspiration for this, although I've wanted to do this podcast for some time, is I heard a reporter um, on the radio talking about an environmental rally uh, where he was asked, uh, they had signs that said Green New Deal, and he asked participants what that was, and he was very dismissive of of the whole movement when they didn't know exactly uh, what was in the New Green Deal. So uh, what's in there, Lauren? Yeah, well, I'd say he's rightfully so... Um, to be frustrated, Uh right? uh If we're fighting for something, we should know what we're fighting for. Um, So let me just start by saying what the Green New Deal is not. Okay. Okay. (laughs) It's not policy. Mm -hmm. It's not legislation. It cannot be signed into law. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, it's a short 14-page document that I encourage everyone to skim through. It maybe takes 10 minutes to skim through and just get the basic understanding, 20 to 30, to really understand it in depth. Um, it was loosely inspired by the New Deal. Um, FDR's that, New Deal. Yeah, FDR's New and, Deal. And, you know, I could never figure out how it came in order. I called it the New Green Deal, but it's the New, it's the new Deal and it's green. Green New Deal, yes. <laughs> okay. now um, I got it. And it was uh, pretty much sponsored by uh, Rep- Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York and Senator Ed Markey from Massachusetts. Um, And it can essentially be broken down into two parts. Um, The first half is really talking about what America has to do in order to halt global warming before we pass that 1.5 degrees Celsius threshold um, by 2030. Uh, This essentially means that we have to totally rethink and restructure our daily conveniences. Um, We... In the U.S., we're very privileged um, because we are a very developed country. We've, you know, lived through being able to enjoy those luxuries, um, you know, for for many, many decades. Um, And as a result, we have to be one of those countries that really takes the lead in reducing global reductions in greenhouse gas emissions um, by 40 to 60 percent um, by 2030. Okay, and that's to stop burning fossil fuels. Yeah, um, I mean it's 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 complete. Like we basically have to completely transition from fossil fuels. We have to start rethinking how we grow our foods. We have to be um, more mindful of locality. We have to build buildings better um, and create strict energy efficiency standards. Honestly, the list goes on and on. Okay, so fossil fuels are coal, wood, natural gas, yep. oil. Yep. Okay. Pretty much non-renewable resources. Okay, so that would be like electric vehicles. So electric vehicles, um, that would be a good transition as long as we can transition to like solar and wind power. Because I mean, okay. if we're still powering our electric vehicles by fossil fuels, by generating that electricity from coal or natural gas or all these things then really we're not putting a dent on it. <laughs> okay, okay, because we're the electricity. Exactly. All right, so, so uh, 
the VW plant just had a ceremony. They're going to start building electric cars. I haven't seen, I have seen solar power farms in, in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You have to look. They're usually be, be well, they're behind a, a green fence. And mm-hmm. if you are a, a passenger in a car, you can, you can see the solar panels. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any windmills, mm-hmm. but about, uh, but but so, so we're starting to see that a little bit now. As far as our, our food, that needs to come to be more local, right? Is is that the the main thing about food at this point? Or yeah, we need to have more local um, agriculture. Agriculture that's restorative. That's okay. that's um, helping build the soils um, because a lot of. Uh, carbon sequestration can happen when soils are ha- are, are healthy, okay. um, and so when we when we help restore our soils, we we see that crop rotation. We do more of the organic okay. instead of fertilizing the heck out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the other part of the the second part of yeah. the Green New Deal. Yeah. Is- so so that is. Um, the challenging part because when we when we have when we notice that we have to make this transition um to totally rethink and restructure our daily conveniences totally transition from fossil fuels that is going to have an unprecedented impact on vulnerable populations that rely on these industries Mm -hmm. so what the second part of the green new deal focuses on is it suggests ways in which we can make this transition to clean energy in a way that protects Americans and is equitable. So it addresses things like ensuring job security, universal health care, training in, in higher education so that we can um, transition people from working in the coal industry or fossil fuels um, into solar and wind power. Um, it's public em- employment, realizing that a lot of this infrastructure is going to have to be supported by the federal government, mm-hmm. um, just as the, the New Deal was. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it really works to protect frontline communities. And it defines these frontline communities as individuals who are indigenous, communities of color, migrant communities, deindustrialized communities, depopulated rural communities, so Tennessee, (laughs) Um, the poor, low-income workers, women, the elderly, the unhoused, people with disabilities, and youth. So I listed off pretty much, you know, everyone everyone except a CEO. (laughs) Right, everyone (laughs) except for that 1%. Um, So we're seeing that this this Green New Deal is a goal um, to really protect the majority of America and really see a fair and just energy transition, create millions of good high-wage jobs, invest, invest in infrastructure and industry, ensure clean air, water, climate, community resiliency, uh, healthy food, access to nature, a sustainable environment for all people f- for generations to come. Mm-hmm. Um and pretty much underlying all of this is just promoting justice and equity by stopping the systemic oppression in all forms. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, it's a strategy that creates an America in which all of us can win. Mm-hmm. And we get the added, added bonus of, you know, saving the planet. That's right. Well, <laughs> and, and I think the best example of the inequality is just the things that we've talked about on, on the podcast with Linda Sherrill about uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs uh, Act of 2017. Is, it really was this huge uh, cut for corporations, and, and the belief was that they were going to turn that around and reinvest into factories and jobs, and we're just not really seeing that, and that, uh, that, that, that a lot of money has gone to stockholders and the rich are, are richer and the, and the poor are poor. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we talked about kind of the middleman may have gotten a little extra in their paycheck, mm-hmm. but, it, it, you know, their middle, middle class jobs are, are really, uh, the pay is, is, is stagnant. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and this would be hard to enact because um, rich people like like to stay rich and yeah. and I think I was just reading something the other day that it's never enough mm. it is never there's not a cap to that so 
um, I think that's where a lot of the opposition to this whole plan, you yeah. know, comes from. And, and we'll talk about that in a little, in a little bit. The goal is zero emissions to um, save the planet. So, um, what is global warming? And uh, I think they've kind of called it climate change. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be less scarier, but <laughs> but you can call it what, either one. Um, what is it? Yeah. So. <laughs> I just like to start by saying that neither of these terms are wrong. Um, the globe is warming, and as a result, climates are changing. Um, you've seen a lot of climate deniers um, bringing up the fact that we have seen um, very cold snaps uh, mm-hmm. earlier in the season, or in the winter we see this uh, term that's that's been generated, like, polar vortex and they're uh-huh. like well if this is happening then is the globe really warming is like it's all a hoax right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but really these cold snaps are actually linked to global warming mm-hmm. um and that's like the essence of climate change is that you know we're seeing things change on a large scale um but overall we're seeing the globe warming if we're looking at the entire picture of the years um and take that average but basically, the way that polar, vo- polar vortex works is that um, because temperatures are rising in the Arctic at double the rate mm-hmm. of the rest of the planet, the difference between temperatures at the North Pole and continents at lower latitudes um, is decreasing. So less disparity, less difference in temperatures means less difference in air pressure levels which ends up weakening the jet stream. And so that jet stream that keeps all of the cold air in the polar oh, mm-hmm. in the poles mm-hmm. starts to weaken and we see some of that cold air move south. Mm-hmm. It's pushed south. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're seeing the jet stream take longer and less direct paths. Okay. Um, okay. So really we we see that um, in the, and that's why well, like I, last week was miserable. It was so cold. <laughs> so cold. Not for, not for us, but but I, I have friends in, uh, high school friends in, in Wisconsin and Colorado. And yeah. I, I think I got 30 texts a day mm-hmm. from them conversing about um, the snow, the cold, the ice. Yeah, yeah. Know, I trying mean, to get around. And then the, the, the whole airport thing. You know, people not being able to get home, and it, it dawned on me that you know we may not be able to go away for Thanksgiving. It's right. just going to be so hard, mm-hmm. you know, to do that. It'll really cut down our ability to be with, you know, we be with family. Yeah. So, and really, the 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 globe that that's measured kind of in the atmosphere, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the greenhouse gas is. Is that the emissions from our fossil fuels mm-hmm. are kind of not able to escape into space and so it's like a a greenhouse effect of the, yeah. it raising the yeah so the greenhouse effect um is something that actually keeps earth livable uh-huh, <laughs> and uh-huh. and so common greenhouse gases are you know carbon dioxide methane even like water vapor i think that's actually the most prevalent greenhouse gas but the more uh, fossil fuels that we're burning, the more CO2 and methane that we're pumping into the atmosphere, um, which is causing um, a magnified greenhouse gas effect that is basically trapping the solar, um, pretty much solar ra- radiation, um, that heat in our atmosphere, and it's not releasing back into um, space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so, it's staying in more than it's released, right? And the, and um, you know, there's there's a lot, and I know there's things effects on the ocean and the water mm-hmm. and the coral reefs and and things like that as well too that we we won't have time to go into. But I will say that um, there are if you just if you just look at uh, Google climate change. There are excellent videos mm-hmm. that explain, you know, the, the Green New Deal and you know all these all these things. Yeah. It's a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like. at times it can be. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, so we have the the kind of uh, 
proof of this that it is caused by humans. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so um, there's just I, I don't know how anybody can sit on uh, 285 around Atlanta in the summer waiting and being on that blacktop and not think that all of our cars and everything is is contributing to that. Um, and we're looking at trying to keep it below uh, an increase of, they said two to two and a half degrees centigrade, mm-hmm. and one centigrade is equal to about one and a half degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know the the It's more. But it's more. It's a little bit more. Uh-huh. But um, essentially, when they... When they said that initial two degrees Celsius, two and a half degrees Celsius, they are being very generous. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the more recent research that has been done, um, that was released by the IPCC um, back in 2018, was essentially we can't really exceed a degree and a half. And mm-hmm. if we do, then we're going to see some catastrophic um, feedback loops okay. that are going to. Uh, even more greatly increase the wildfires that we've been seeing. Mm -hmm, Because it's drier. mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. And the hurricanes, Mm -hmm. the strength of the Category 4, Category 5 hurricanes. And flooding. And flooding and droughts. And just exacerbate these extreme weather conditions Mm -hmm. um, and really make a large portion of the U.S. and the world not very livable yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we have our. I, I noticed that the governor of Florida is really doing a lot for climate change because mm-hmm. so many. You know, Miami could be mm-hmm. underwater. Um, we have friends that live or that have a second home in Tybee Island, um, Georgia, and they have pictures of how much of the island could be underwater. Um, I was traveling in Ireland to the Aran Islands last spring, and they've had to increase their seawalls mm-hmm. because the oceans are, are higher. So some things that may not be reversible, right. you know, even, and will affect um, other countries and other populations many times more than us. So uh, more migration and right. uh, people can't live underwater. They're going to want to move, and we're already having a global right. issue, right. you know, with that. So um, the other thing that we didn't mention was uh, the forests and how they we know that trees take CO2, CO2 out of the mm-hmm. atmosphere. So we need to stop cutting down forests or burning them down. Mm-hmm. So the a- Amazon and the fires that we've had the last couple of years in the U.S. are, um, uh, are concerning as well. Um, you talked a little bit about methane, and um, Deb and I talked about that on the radio program mm-hmm. last year, because this is where we get the concern about the cows and um, not being able to eat hamburgers. <laughs> and actually, methane, um, you know, comes from anything that's broken down, right? right? right. And so I think we're mostly uh, kind of looking at methane from cows in the um, the big farms yeah. where they're you know they're on top of each other mm-hmm. and they're on a mound of you know excrement and things like that right. so so uh we should just really be eating less you know red meat and hamburger anyway yeah. Yeah. but people don't like you know don't like to hear that so. yeah and and something that we we should acknowledge is that methane is actually stronger than co2 and its global warming potential so it's actually 28 to 36 times um that of co2 in in a hundred year time frame so Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. it has uh the capacity to retain um more heat Mm -hmm. um and 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 warm our globe at 28 to 36 times more Mm -hmm. than co2 so Mm -hmm. really i mean the burning of fossil fuels, it releases CO2, but also releases methane and especially like cow flatulence, definitely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> methane. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and yeah, we just, we really need to restructure how, how we're looking. How, look at, how we look at that. So um, I mentioned this earlier, um, U.S. response mm-hmm. to, to the new Green Deal is to the government, just ridicule and misinformation, uh, just dismiss um, scientific study um, 
it's a hoax, and a hoax is uh, misleading, uh, just misleading information. Um, I think I had a definition of that, although um, it's everybody knows what a hoax is. Yeah. <laughs> I and and you know we hear that word um, a lot, and I think one thing that that kind of personalizes it um, f- for me is is um, when professionals, like scientists um, and uh, journalists and uh, diplomats, um, you know, are dismissed as, as a hoax. And I was, I, I, I was kind of in my profession accused of a hoax, and mm-hmm. I've been an oncology nurse practitioner, uh, for many years, and people sometimes would say, um, "Well, there, you know, there's a cure for cancer out there. Y'all just are keeping it to yourself, like, so that you can make money, mm. you know, and keep the whole uh, uh, medical complex, you know, going." And like, you know, why would? How could you do that right. in the first place? Mm-hmm. How could you all get together and make that decision, and then watch people, you know, suffer? Yeah. And you know, and to give your whole life to to a job, mm-hmm. and then um, told that you you know that you don't know what you're talking about. Right. So so I'm getting I'm getting more angry. Mm-hmm. About that. Um, but anyway, going back to, to uh, responses. Um, so uh, we have we'll talk a little bit more about government response in, in a little bit. I think industry we have oil and gas those industries, but. You know, there's also about 13%, I guess, of our energy comes from um, uh, um, windmills and, and solar. Mm-hmm. And renewables. And a lot of p- renewable energies. And, and we did have see some industry mm-hmm. um, develop with that. And so there, yeah. there is proof that there is potential yeah. for jobs and for a future and those things. Yeah. And, and also what, what your, your students, the students that you work with, yeah. I mean, um, so what do they think about th- this? Are they, they're hopeful. They're looking at the future and they're, that they're going to be involved in it yeah. and be able to contribute to that with their careers. Yeah, I think you see on the national scale the fact that the climate justice movement is being led majority by youth. Um, it's really powerful and mm-hmm. it, it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um but we also acknowledge that this is nothing new. Like youth have been the fourth, the force that um, pushes for change, um, because I mean they're not jaded. <laughs> they they really understand that like if we want a better world for ourselves mm-hmm. um, and for future generations, we have to make these changes. So mm-hmm. we look at things like the March for Our Lives you know, a couple years ago, um, that's still kind of going on. And that sparked action against gun violence. Um, we look at the civil rights movement and the, and the work of SNCC, the student nonviolent coordinating committee and how that was really high schoolers and college students Mm -hmm. who were organizing and rallies for, um, civil rights and equality. Mm -hmm. Um, we look at the Vietnam war protests again, Mm -hmm. college students, Arab Spring, um, the movement behind the Dakota Access Pipeline, Mm -hmm. um, bringing about more attention to indigenous peoples and their right to protect um, their sacred lands. Mm -hmm. And and honestly, the youth that I work with, the students that I work with here, um, are encouraged to get more civically involved when they see Mm -hmm. these movements happening. we, we have a lot of students here working with various groups like the Socially Conscious Investment Club. Um, that's a club on campus that is pushing to um, see more transparency within the investments uh, that fund our endowment, um, making sure that they're more socially responsible, they aren't we aren't investing in fossil fuels or, um, you know, private prisons or things like that. Mm-hmm. Just being more socially conscious mm-hmm. um, about our investments and the power that money has. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a student, I reinstated the 
environmental residence program, which serves as like a peer, um, peer-to-peer education tool where students live in the residence halls on campus and host programming and competitions throughout the year to encourage a more environmentally conscious way of life. We have the greenhouse that has made it part of their mission um, to encourage students to um, become like politically um, involved informing students about um, the environmental pa- platforms of the Democratic candidates mm-hmm. um, for this 2020 election. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the Swanee Water Campaign that is pushing for our campus to move away from single-use plastics. Right. I mean, honestly, the list goes on and on with the projects that have been started and are fueled by students. Mm-hmm. And I'm just blessed that I get to work with them every day and pretty much, you know, if they need guidance, I offer it. But a lot of times, they know what they're doing mm-hmm. and they, they just need the support of, um, of administration and um, the folks that actually are here greater than four years right Um, right because that's the challenging part is that well i think the other challenge is i think that the one reason that somebody told me this and talking about civil rights the reason that the youth were so involved in that protesting in that was because their parents wanted to be Mm. but they couldn't because they were working Mm -hmm. so the time elephant but the 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 risk that they could be fired yeah if they were seen protesting Mm -hmm. or were arrested or anything and the challenge for the students is to take what they learn here and be able to incorporate it mm-hmm. into their working lives. Right. You know, so, and they also need the support of their parents and aunts and uncles to, to stop and, and listen to them and learn from them mm-hmm. and not be dismissive of what they're trying to do. Right. You know, they're, they're, the, another thing that I've heard more and more is that, oh, we can't do that. That's too expensive. We can't do that. Mm. And I don't think that, F, I'm not sure, but I don't think that FDR heard that. Or when we tried to go to the moon, mm-hmm. or some other things that have been big, you right. know, um, we used to be able to do those things mm. as Americans. So I think jaded—that's a—that's a good word. Um, the international response to climate change would be uh, there have been a couple, uh, but the Paris Agreement um, a few years ago. Um, the goal was to keep the temperature from rising to two degrees centigrade and get the momentum going on. Um, other nations to recognize the problem and put forth uh, goals and ways to meet those goals. The U.S. promised a 26 to 28% percent reduction in um, in emissions, I guess, emissions yeah. by 2025. Mm-hmm. And richer countries were to help poor countries meet the goal, to meet those goals. Well, in 2017, the current administration announced a plan to withdraw from the Paris Agreement uh, under uh, lots of discussion and uh, some d- disappointment on a global level and also on a U.S. level. Um, and they notified the U.N. Um, officially uh, in November that the, and then there's a one-year waiting period. So that mm-hmm. hasn't actually gone through yet, so hopefully we can uh, do something by next November. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a group meeting right now, because I pick of 200 countries, you know, right now that are kind of meeting... Um, about this, and I don't know if it's a Paris Agreement or if it's another, but it's been in the paper mm. um, the last the last few days. Um, and then, and then I wanted to just look at, at environmental policy in in the Trump administration. Um, it seems like there's uh, not only misinformation, but in, in action, misinformation and inaction, but aggressive efforts to greatly worsen the quality of life for Americans and and our environment. Um, you know, in earlier uh, decades, uh, we were able to clean up air pollution since 1990 with the Clean Air Act. And in just in a year, um, a lot of that work has been reversed uh, with a 15% uh, increase mm-hmm. in air pollution in the last two years. Greenhouse gases were at a 25-year low in 2017, and now they're up 2.5% um, last year. Um, there's my quote on the hoax. <laughs> um, a, de- a deception intended to trick, trick or mislead is the definition. And the America First Energy Plan um, currently in place greatly uh, increased the use of fossil fuel and greenhouse emissions, trying to get the coal workers um, back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, environmental regulations are 
felt uh, to stifle business and U.S. energy output. Uh, We just really wanted to provide uh, fossil fuel um, products to the rest of the world as as an industry here. Mm. Uh, There's no mention of renewable energy and the jobs and innovation there. Yeah. Um, even though, as we've talked about, there are there are people and mm-hmm. cities and states, you know, trying to do that on their own. Other policies that run contrary to reducing emissions is approving uh, the two controversial pipelines yeah. to bring more oil. Repeal of the clean water rule to allow drilling in national parks and public lands. Mm-hmm. Allow, allow drilling in all U.S. waters. Open the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Yeah. Cut funding for endangered species. We didn't talk about animals and extinctions. Mm. And to release more harmful chemicals in the air, which could lead to the death of uh, 80,000 um, lives uh, in America due to, to respiratory problems. Yeah. So, yeah, so, um, yeah that's discouraging. <laughs> that's every day right. there's a little cut, mm-hmm. it seems. Um, in things that aren't, that we're kind of gotten used to, you know, recycling, turning off the the water. I mean, I I, I think it's good. It gives us control over this problem um, to do little things, but unfortunately it's going to take countries and and big things um, to do them. Yeah, but I I will say that um, it's not all discouraging Mm -hmm. because we have seen states... Um, pick up the slack. Uh-huh. We've seen them uh, really put in put in place policies that protect, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to negate, like the pro- the progress that we've mm-hmm. seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, California has mm-hmm. just been an incredible leader in mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm blanking on the name of the of the project um, or program. But it's it's basically a commitment that cities and states and counties can sign on to and say, like, you know, even though Trump has uh, pretty much said we're not going to meet the Paris Agreement, we will do our part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be the President's Climate Agreement. Um, but we... You know, we, we are seeing response because okay. there's... There is a growing consensus um, that global warming, climate change is real. It's a fact. Um, We're seeing pretty much all of the Democratic uh, candidates have a strong environmental um, justice, um, climate resiliency platform. Mm -hmm. Um, So really, we just need to go out and vote. (laughs) And not be not be discouraged. Right. We're Americans for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. We we do stuff and, mm-hmm. and we lead the world in in the good things that we do. I always like to have an action plan at the end of the podcast, and it usually goes something like: um, Don't listen to the rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Use your clinical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. You know, look around you, and um, don't be dismissive. Don't call it a hoax. Calling something a hoax is easy. You don't have to do anything like after that. It's a little bit harder to read, listen, think, share, um, and, and listen to real information. So that's a theme, you know, throughout. Fight for our future. Um, and I, like you said, the election is vital to the future of America. Um, we, we have to have an administration that can restore regulations to protect our air and water and work with other countries be, and be leaders, not an obstruction to U.S. and global efforts. And talk to your kids because they're learning this mm-hmm. stuff in school, um, whether they're in grade school or high school, that you're going to be helping those kids yeah. in Washington, D.C., and, and college students. Um, get with them and, and learn about the environment um, Um, because they're learning about plants and animals and things. And uh, if you've been busy working, you know, it might be good to go out. And we're really lucky in Middle Tennessee. We have a wonderful state park and a lot, a lot of of programs for kids uh, and families. In fact, your child may have gone on a field trip to the South Cumberland State Park and learned about snakes and bugs and uh, rocks and um, our geography and they would love to take you out there and show you what you what they've learned. 
Do you have any action plan items that I didn't cover? Hmm. I think um, also maybe just don't be dismissive of youth. I think they have a Mm -hmm. lot of power and um, they are really in the age of information at their fingertips. They know Uh the internet. They know social media better than anyone. Um, And they can navigate those platforms in a way, you know, that I am still trying to grasp. (laughs) Even though I'm not far from them. I'm only 23. But, um, you know, they they have a lot of power. And, like, they, especially the ones under 18, they can't vote. So listen to them. Let them inspire you to act. um, And act on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Because... um, they deserve it. You deserve it. Mm-hmm. Um, we all deserve a more equitable um, planet, mm-hmm. a more equitable U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm fighting for. Right. Me too. Mm-hmm. We need clean air and clean water. There's no question about that. Um, I'm going to give Lauren a little quiz. I'm going to give you all a quiz. This is from How Much Do You Know About Solving Global Warming? It's from the New York Times in 2017. Actually, it was in the New York Times, but it's from uh, it's from a book called Drawdown, um, a, new, uh, a book from 2017, um, edited by uh, green entrepreneur Paul Hawken, with analyzes 100 potential solutions and ranks them by the amount of greenhouse gas that they could cut. So actually, I'm going to put a little plug in for Swanee okay. right here because um, another powerful woman voice that was um integral in the creation of drawdown is Catherine wilkinson who oh. graduated from yes, Solani back her. in 2005 yeah. um and i actually got the book drawdown for my graduation present so if i don't get an 100 i'm gonna be upset <laughs> okay. well then this is for the rest of the audience because this is really interesting so uh, i think there's eight questions so we'll just go through those quickly the first category is how we eat What do you think would reduce greenhouse gas emissions more? If half the world switched to a plant-rich diet, or if clean cook stoves, which reduce emissions of carbon dioxide, were adopted on a large scale in the developing world? Mm. I think it's probably the plant-based diet. (laughs) That's kind of an easy one. I hope hope people have picked up on that, stoves. That's probably a good idea. But um, yes, eat, eat more plants. It's a number four climate change solution overall. Um, food production and the production of meat in particular produces around the same amount of greenhouse gases as power plants, so eating less meat can lead to big savings on, admission, on emissions. Which would cut more greenhouse gases if everyone threw out half as much food or if about half of biodegradable food was composted? This we've given big hints on. Hmm. I think think it's probably the food waste. Yeah, waste less food. Because composting is going to be that (laughs) degradation. So um, I I love to waste less food. We just have the most interesting um, meal sometimes at at our house. Yeah. (laughs) Call them fridge tips. (laughs) Honestly, that's me too. I'm... Since I'm moving in two weeks, um, I'm I'm making it a goal not to go to the grocery store uh-huh. and just like use everything in my fridge and just like make these crazy concoctions and just you know subsist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put some ketchup <laughs> on it, and then you're good. Okay. The next category is how we get around. Which would have the bigger impact? Encouraging more carpooling or the reduced car emissions from electric vehicles? Um, I'm gonna say electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. I would, I would say. Okay. Woo. <laughs> yeah. The authors say that 16% of all cars could be electric by 2050. Buying those new cars would cost a lot more than simply carpooling, but the savings in carbon dioxide emissions are much higher. And this is where we we concerned about people that aren't able to afford, um, you know, vehicles. But right. we have a lot of people affording, you know, big, big, big trucks mm-hmm. and vans and that, and um, that's kind of going the wrong way. Um, also, in travel, which offers more bang for the buck, uh, we might trick you on this one. Okay. So I missed this one. Improving airplane efficiency or building a global global 
network of high-speed rail. Oh, shoot. Uh, Let's go with airplane efficiency. Okay. Woo! (laughs) Yes, correct. (laughs) There's another one coming up that I I missed. I think I got this right. A lot of the changes are easier than you think. One study showed that if planes taxied on a single engine, they could substantially reduce the amount of fuel they burn. Now, see... That would be easy. Right. I, I just did some flying lately, you know, increasing my carbon um, footprint. And that just backing away from the um, the, the, the um, concourse. Right, right, right. I, I mean, it just, it just felt like we could have taken off mm-hmm. vertically. There just seemed to be so much, you know, power. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why they don't um, do that. Um, do you, uh, this is the one I missed. Okay. Do you think that getting more people to use mass transit would have a bigger or smaller impact on emissions than making the shipping industry more fuel efficient? So hop on a bus or ships ahoy. This one's tricky. This is tricky. Can you read it one more time? <laughs> Do you think that getting more people to use mass transit would have a bigger or smaller impact on emissions than making the shipping industry more fuel efficient? You haven't been to the Georgia beaches lately. I think I'm going to go with more public transit. That's the wrong answer. Trips ahoy. Aye, aye, Captain. (laughs) See. I lived in Atlanta for 15 years, and we went to the barrier islands all mm-hmm. the time, and you're on the beach, and you see these ships, these container ships all the time. A lot of stuff moves that way. Mm-hmm. More than 80% of global trade by volume travels by ships, so getting even half the fleet to be more fuel efficient could save millions of barrels of fuel because mm-hmm. they're, they're propelled by... We won't... <laughs> Okay, which holds more promise, building wind farms or solar farms? Wind farms. Yeah. Yes. Both uh, are uh, sources of renewable energy, and they're extremely important in slowing global warming. But onshore wind turbines will be even more effective than solar farms. This is a little tricky because the windmills uh, are number two, and the solar is number eight. So that was really close together. Yeah. So, um, what about green roofs and cool roofs? This is my favorite one. Green roofs and cool roofs. Green roofs provide natural insulation by growing plants on top of buildings, and cool roofs reflect solar energy back into space. Uh, They help save on heating and cooling costs. How do you think installing these roofs compare to almost exclusively using LED light bulbs in homes? Oh. Hmm. LED light bulbs or green roofs. I'm going to go with, um, so, would it, is it all, (laughs) (laughs) is it making all roofs green Um, or? Well, do you think installing these roofs compares to almost exclusively using LED light bulbs in homes? (sighs) LED light bulbs are so efficient though. I think I'm going to go with LED. Yes. Yes. LED uses 90% less energy for the same amount of light than traditional incandescent bulbs. If more light bulbs were switched to LEDs, it would save about 10 times as much energy as if 90% of all roofs were either green or cool. And and see, people really, they didn't like being told what light bulbs to Mm -hmm. use. And I think this was even kind of a rollback. Mm Mm-hmm. So easy. Didn't even think of it myself. Right. You know, to just, oh, well, you got to go. Well, that sounds good. Right. I want to save energy. Mm-hmm. And they last a little bit longer. It's no big problem. No big deal. Yeah. I think they didn't like the design of LED light bulbs, like oh, the spiral. The spiral. But now LED light bulbs look exactly like incandescent light uh-huh. bulbs. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, y- you know. know. <laughs> so, anyway, this is our last question. What's the number ranked number one ranked solution for fighting climate change? Waste less water, manage refrigerants, restore tropical forests, 
recycle more paper. It's managed refrigerants. Yeah, it is. Yeah. They have a massive, massive greenhouse gas effect. Who knew? It turns out that changing how we use and dispose of refrigerants, the chemicals used in refrigerators and air conditioners, has the potential to reduce greenhouse gases more than any of the other 99 strategies in the book. Uh, When these chemicals leak or are improperly disposed, they are thousands of times more potent than carbon dioxide in warming the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. The 2016 Kigali Accord, that was the other uh, one that I couldn't think of earlier, signed by 160 countries could reduce the emissions from um, refrigerants by 87%. uh, So, um, you know, there's a lot of things that can be done. It's not so impossible and again that rhetoric that all the money we have to tear down all the buildings Mm. and and, you know no more internal combustion engines there are some things that are going to make a significant difference and what the new green deal needs to do next is start implementing some of these policies as as suggestions and Mm -hmm. working with um, industries to to get to get started right so um Thank you, Lauren. I'm so glad I caught you before you moved to D.C. Yeah. We'll have to look you up when I go there. I'm going there in February, so yeah, definitely I'm going to go to the African American uh, Museum. Uh, I have an aunt that's turning 90, so we're oh going to do gosh. do that area. That is a beautiful museum. I've I've been there. I think three or four times. Oh, wow. Two of them actually before it opened because uh-huh. I worked for the Smithsonian doing ener- or environmental compliance um, work as an internship okay. the summer that it was being built uh-huh. and so I, I got to go in there before it was oh, open cool. well, <laughs> I, I imagine it'll be energy efficient so yeah. I'm going to look around and see if mm-hmm. I can can find that so um, again thank you so much Lauren this was a huge topic we wish you the very best thank you in so your much career. we're so glad we had you at Swanee for this time and I want to thank um, all the listeners to the podcast we get we get more uh, every week um, I'm going to be taking a little break and start season two of What About Us in February 2020. Uh, please find some time to catch up on past episodes as they are pertinent, still pertinent to things that are happening in our state and country uh, right now. Um, I'm going to try to do a season one recap episode at the end of the month just to show y'all that we are on it. Mm-hmm. So this has been What About Us, and my name is Sandy Rice. My guest today has been Lauren Newman. Thanks for listening.